follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the the Father will honor him. This is the word of the Lord. Could you join me as we pray? Father, on this Veterans Day weekend, we're reminded of men and women that battled, men and women that sacrificed. And you tell us that in our faith that we labor not in a physical battle, but a spiritual battle, not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers of heaven. And yet, Lord, we pray that we would take our faith seriously and our place in the world, that we would see ourselves worthy, as pay, worthy of paying a cost for your kingdom. And we ask that your word would light the way in Christ's name. Amen. In September, we, the elders, put a a vision before our community at our vision brunch where it was a call to live into and live out of the fullness of the gospel. Now, what does that mean? The gospel is God's declaration that his king has come to rescue, deliver, redeem, heal, restore. And the Bible also identifies this king to be Jesus Christ, the Messiah king. And there are two ways that he expressed that good news. One was what he said and taught, words. The other was what he did, deeds. Chiefly, Sacrificing his life for sinners like us. And the fullness of the gospel always has both of those things. It always has word and deed. And a church that is committed to the fullness of the gospel will always have word and deed together. And yet, they're not these things that are sort of separate and parallel and aren't related An understanding of the gospel is one that understands the way that they relate to each other and empower each other. Last spring, our congregation took some time to delve into the word side. We looked at theology for a couple weeks. For the next three weeks, we want to look at the deed side of the gospel. And tonight... The idea of service, and this is the main idea I want to bring to you. That Jesus leads us to a place, an understanding service, primarily in terms of identity and not activity. That Jesus brings us to this place where we begin to understand service, not primarily in terms of activity, but rather identity. And I basically want to look at two questions. Why is service a matter of identity? And what difference does it make anyway? So let's do that together in this time that we have. First of all, why service is a matter of identity? And simply, why it is is because it was for Jesus. 
Now, we're told in this passage that some Greeks uh, approach Jesus and want to speak with him. And by Greeks, these are non-Jews. Okay, these are Gentiles, as the Bible would say. And they approach Philip. Philip has a Greek name, just like we might go to a representative from our state, right? They're going to someone that they think would probably network good on their behalf and get an audience before Jesus. We're not sure if they're, they're full converts to the faith of Israel, but at least they're seekers. They were in town to worship. And we're not sure why they wanted to see Jesus. Maybe they had heard that he was an advocate for Gentiles in the temple. When Jesus cleansed the temple, he drove out the merchants that were occupying the place where Gentiles could pray. And we're not sure if Jesus eventually spoke to them or not. But we do know this. Their coming triggers something in him. And he says, the hours come for the Son of Man to be glorified. In the Gospel of John, that word hour is a key phrase. It's a loaded term. It's a technical phrase. And it refers to the suffering, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But what's significant is this. Up until this point in the Gospel of John, it's always been future. The hour was coming. The hour was coming. And now with the presence of these Greeks asking this question, the hour is now. Why is that? Well, there are two things that happen, two things that come together. One is at this time of Jesus' ministry, Jesus had said his first mission was to bring the good news first to Israel. But Israel would not receive him, many in Israel, not all, but many in Israel would not receive the message. In fact, at this moment, the religious leaders are planning his execution. Yet at the same time, Jesus taught that after he went to Israel, the gospel would then move out into the nations of the world. And you see that with the Apostle Paul. Last night at our gathering of the prayer for the persecuted church is a wonderful example of that. The gospel has gone out into the world. But you see, at this moment, it really is a sign. The fact that where Jesus is being stiff-armed and rejected by the very ones he would come to, but then you have the nations coming to him, is a future sign that his death, what his death will be activating, what his death will be doing. That his death will be like a seed that results in a great global harvest. For Jesus, his death was his moment of glory. In fact, in the Gospel of John, glory and death go hand in hand. As you think about your defining moment, your hour, your glory hour that you daydream about, you think about, you aspire to, what is it? Maybe it's being on a platform where you, know, you finally get that affirmation from the crowd that you wanted. Or maybe it's a hero recognizing you and the work that you've done. Someone you really look up to and they, you finally meet them and they, you know, I, I always have this, uh, forget, forget my daydreams. We'll move, we'll move on from there. But, uh, or maybe it's walking forward to get a degree or maybe it's walking down the aisle. I don't know what you see as that hour, that defining moment. For Jesus, it was the cross. It was serving By sacrificing his life for sinners, serving us with his atoning death. 
And you see this connection clearly in the prophet Isaiah. And John is echoing the prophet Isaiah here. Where Isaiah has a section that theologians call the servant songs. Where Isaiah talks about the servant, capital S, and it says, Behold, my servant will act wisely. And then as you follow that, it goes into how will the servant act wisely? By being pierced for our transgressions, being crushed for our iniquities. Those of you that have been in the church know those are famous words. Well, they are said about the servant. And so you see something here. See something that, you know, is key. That while dying on the cross was what Jesus did... Being a servant was who he was. Dying on the cross was the activity, but who he was was the servant. His fundamental identity. And if you are a professing Christian here today, I would ask you, do you see your fundamental identity as a servant? And everything else as activity flowing out of that. That's really the challenge. That's what Jesus expects. He says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. Service is not mere activity, it's identity. Now, I think this has real practical implications for us. You know, D.C. is certainly the nation's capital, but it also might be the burnout capital of the world. You know, people come here and they have great aspirations and dreams and they pour themselves into something. You know, maybe it's a campaign, maybe it's a cause, maybe it's a classroom, whatever it be, people that come tend to pour themselves into things, and they get burned out. And so as you hear me talking about service should be your identity, you might say, no, 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 that's the very thing that wrecked me. When I saw myself that way, that's when, when my job consumed my life. When I didn't have work-life balance. But, you know, I don't think that was really the problem there. The problem behind the burnout was not the size that service played in your identity. But rather, your service became the source of your identity. That was the problem. The problem behind the burnout wasn't the share that service played in who you were. But rather, it became the source of who you were source of your identity. I mean, this is the reason why people burn out. Our service becomes our self-worth. It becomes our self-justification. Our service becomes the reason that I feel like I'm value in somebody. But that was never the case for Jesus. You might hear him saying here, if anyone serves the Father, you know, he will honor him. But you've got to read that in a larger context. Before Jesus ever launched his public service, his ministry... At his baptism, what happens? God the Father opens up heavens and says, This is my son, beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Sonship comes before service. His belovedness as a son comes before the service and the ministry. And it's the same thing with anybody that believes in him. Jesus makes this clear in John 17. He's praying for his believers, and he mentions that they have been loved with the same love that the Father loved him with. The same belovedness. In the book of uh, Ephesians, the Apostle Paul says, Before the foundation of the world, before you and I ever served, we were for loved. God set his love upon us. 
Chapter 1, John says in this gospel that becoming a child of God isn't a matter of serving, it's a matter of receiving Him. That's where it all starts. Sonship before service. Listen to some of the ways that Jesus, listen to how He relates to the Father. I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. What Jesus is saying there, that my Father serves me, he loves me. And this is what proceeds, and it's the same with you and I. Our identity as beloved sons and daughters is what qualifies us to serve. And if we get that backward, we'll always be burning out. Whatever it would be, whatever we're doing. So when I say service is a matter of identity, what we're saying is that sonship and service coexist together and acceptance. So what difference does it make? Let me mention three. First of all, uh, it results in freedom, ironically. Freedom. Um, This week, um, you know, every now and then I try to actually apply when I'm preaching. Uh, And this week, you know, I was uh, preaching on serving. And, of course, there's no uh, shortage of examples to be able to serve. And uh, I realized that... I don't think my identity fundamentally is to be a servant. I think it's like a half-servant. Maybe maybe a half-servant. I I was thinking about that, you know, there have been uh, some wonderful films in the last couple years about the dignity of service. One was Lee Daniels, the butler, right, about um, Cecil Gaines, who served eight presidents. His identity, right, as a servant and just the dignity and honor. And I was thinking, you got that version. And then I was thinking back to this 70s and 80s butler, Benson. Does anybody remember? No, Benson? Anybody? Okay, well, it's a small group, and, but uh, that's okay. You don't have to know it all. But Benson, you know, his whole thing was he's in this completely dysfunctional family. But uh, his whole deal was, uh, his one-liner was, the doorbell would ring, and everybody would look at him, and he would say, you want me to get that? Right? He's that kind of servant. I was thinking, I'm more like that one. You know, I'm, I'm less like the Cecil Gaines. I'm more like the, you want me to get that? Uh, I want to punch in to be a servant. You know, I, I want to sort of put the clothes off and on. And I think it's particularly hard for those in American culture because we, you know, we prize individualism and freedom and my dreams and my goals. Now, you know, many, if you're a servant, you're not sitting there, you know, when you wake up in the morning going, what are my dreams today? What are my goals today? Now I'll get back to how those things actually work together. And this is one of the reasons we don't serve. We actually use it as a rationalization. We say, well, you know, I'm really not interested in any of these opportunities. They don't seem to be my gift mix, right? They don't seem to be that thing that you know, um, clicks with me. But a servant, Jesus would tell us, is someone that knows that their fundamental mission is death. This is, uh, you know, what's uh, every year I 
participate in uh, the persecuted church event because I need it. I need to be reminded of my brothers and sisters, and I need it more than once a year. And I think especially those of us here need to be reminded regularly, this is what the call is for every disciple. Jesus, you know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's big thing, when Jesus calls someone, he calls them bid to die, to give their lives. But there's actually a freedom in this. Uh, Maybe you've had this experience before where you're set on focusing on something. Maybe you've been, you know, working all day to to this time where you're going to focus on something. Maybe it's uh, some work you were going to do. Maybe it's some chore you were going to do. Or maybe it's just some show you wanted to binge, whatever it is. But you get the the divine interruption. Your roommate needs something. Your kid needs something. A fellow co-worker needs something. So So you get up and you go take care of it. You sit back down and you're just about ready and it happens again. Get up, get up, take care of the business, sit down again. It happens again. And then finally you just go, forget it. Forget it. I'm just going to go help the person. And so you help the person, and after a while you realize, gee, I feel kind of good. I feel kind of satisfied. I feel kind of significant. Because I was freed from something. I was freed from this, you know, what Jesus would call trying to save my life. This life that I'm trying to create, right? I, I'm sitting there and, I, and I'm trying to protect my agenda and protect my schedule and protect my dreams from people, right? From God, from his kingdom and agenda. And yet, when we yield, something happens, and I, I think some, there, there's some fundamental things. One, we have to take the step and believe, you know, God really does care about my rest. He cares about my rest because one of the fears, if I'm going to serve, is I'm going, am I going to just be totally depleted? He is the God that created the Sabbath. And not just the Sabbath day, but he created, you know, when there was evening, there was morning, there was rest. God never intended us to work like all the hours of the day. When you go to Genesis, you see that you get this whole day of rest. But on top of that, you know, it's like uh, once the lights went out, back then the lights went out. No electricity, right? In fact, the, the greatest transgressors of our rest are ourselves. Because again, you know, we're, we're sort of driven with our self-worth and our identity is in our service and our activity. And so we have to realize that Jesus said, my yoke is easy. Come to me, everybody that's tired and weary. And when we take that step, that, okay, he's going to take care of my rest, I can be a servant. But another thing is that he cares about our desires. He planted them there. Not all of them. But, you know, we've got good desires in there. If you're someone that is, you know, giving your heart to God, he's producing good desires. And he cares about that too. So this idea, well, if he calls me to serve, that means all the other stuff that I love and want to do, well, he's not going to let me do it. What kind of father do we, do we believe we have? What a kind of king. And that's what's eating at me this week. Because that part of me that doesn't want to serve and that's a half servant and wants to go halfway is this person that goes, if I don't take care of what I love and what I want to do, you won't take care of it. Shame on me. 
So there's freedom from that whole thing. But there's also freedom from the danger of laziness. Now, in D.C., people pride themselves on being busy. You know, how you doing? I'm so busy. I think I've said that to people this week a bunch of times. People said, <laughs> a lot of you have asked, how was your sabbatical? And I went, it was great, but let me tell you how busy my fall has been. Really been busy. You know, we love to tell people how busy we are. But sometimes laziness masquerades as busyness. Um, I was thinking about Eugene Peterson. He just went to heaven. And uh, he said this line. He said, busyness is often the result of two things. One, a person that has an inflated view of self-importance. They think they've got to be doing everything. They've got to be on five different boards. You know, that the world needs them. But the second thing is, it's a result of laziness. And that is being driven by anything and everything. You know, there's not a purposefulness to our lives where we're going, no, this is what God has called to me. We're just kind of responding to stuff. It's really laziness. And then I read something two weeks ago by a guy named Jack Miller, and this is what he said. There is a lot of sin in the lives of Christians because they're lazy. They do not want to do the hard work of growing, the hard work of repenting. We fail to confront issues or people. We're afraid of being required to give more than we have or more than we want to give. All that's true, but this is what got me. He said the ultimate reason for that is a lack of wholeheartedness. A lack of wholeheartedness, which means our hearts, our affections have been hijacked. So if we find ourselves really not serving God in his kingdom, there's an affection issue going on. Right? This is how Jesus talks about it when he says uh, to one of the churches in Revelation, you've forgotten your first love. This is how Augustine would have talked about it. And so as God calls us to be a servant, we actually get our heart back. We get our true affections back. So it's freeing. But let me mention two more, more briefly, though. A servant identity also expands our vision. Um, Someone once asked the great jazz composer and pianist Herbie Hancock, what is the purpose of music? And he said... To serve humanity. Wow. To serve humanity. I was thinking, that is like a huge vision of our vocation. And I, what a wonderful thing to say because it's this idea, we, we tend to think that there are some things that qualify as service. You know, maybe people in service industries or people that do health care, or people, there are certain service things that the rest of us aren't serving. But the truth is, everybody that is a Christian is in the service industry. Do whatever you do for the sake of Jesus Christ, you're serving. You know, so whether you're changing diapers, whether you're making pumpkin bread for a neighbor, whether you're managing data, whether you're lobbying. So the question I think this puts before us, a vision, how is your job, not the job that you want, or what your relationships, your roles, whatever it is, how, how is that serving humanity? How is that serving God and other people? You've got to be able to answer that question. And I think what we often say is, well, this current job isn't at all. I hate it. My boss is terrible. It's meaningless. But this other job I'm going to have is going to serve humanity. That's not what he's saying here. It's not the view of service in the Bible. So once you and I realize, no, my identity is to be a servant, which means whatever I do is service, 
Man, the vision just opens wide. Right? God can be serving his cause through anything that I do. And whether I'm raking leaves or filing a brief, it's wonderful. But lastly, a servant identity gives us a view of fruitfulness. Jesus says, as we die and become that servant, there's a harvest unless a seed falls to the ground and dies. Now, you can be successful in the world but not be fruitful. And it really gets ultimately down to who you're serving. Uh, Mere success, if you ever notice this, mere success can wow people. It can cause people to envy you. But it really doesn't impact people. It doesn't transform people. Just success. Uh, In fact, maybe you've had an experience where someone you really admire, maybe it's a leader, maybe it's a boss, maybe it was even someone famous, um, and they, they did something personally to serve you. And I promise you, you will remember that more than any of their accomplishments because service impacts. I was thinking, uh, this is supposedly, you know, the actor Bill Murray has this habit where he um, does this thing where he will just randomly, like he's at an airport, and someone's, you know, in their car, and all of a sudden the door opens up and it's Bill Murray. And he looks at them and they look at him and he goes, no one will ever believe you. (laughs) You know? Uh, right? He's just having fun, but you know, there's something people are like, wow, Bill Murray opened the door for me. Right? The son of God uh, opened the door of life for me. The, you know, the son of God saved my soul. All right. But the point is this. If you want to have a fruitful life and you really want to impact people and that impact will go legacy to legacy to legacy, you're going to have to do more than succeed especially by Washington, D.C. standards. We're going to have to serve people. That's the stuff that will last. So, church, let me say this. I first want to praise God for the community of servants we have. Uh, We had the retreat last week, and there's a lot of things I love about the retreat. I love the setting. I love the healing water. I love, you know, the fact we sing. I love, really, that I can just bump around and talk to people because I'm, you know, I've got no responsibilities there. I love all that. Um, but the thing I love the most is when we read off the names of people that have served because there are so many. You know, as soon as I show up and I see the first sign that says Grace DC Retreat, I'm like, servants. You know, and you every all these, that's the thing that impacts me. As much as I love the speaker, that's the things that impact me. I love what God is doing in our community. But, right, there's always room for growth. So let me say this. For some of you, maybe the identity question is you're doing too much. Here, which means your vision is too small for service. Like, you know, if you're on, a, you know, two different teams, you're doing this and do that. But, you know, that doesn't leave you time to maybe be the servant you need to be in your community, right, as a neighbor, to your roommate, whatever it is. Maybe for some of you it's like, you know, I, my service needs to change. I need to do less at this place. For some of you, it might be, you know, I'm half-hearted, 
one of those people that cancels at the last minute. You know, I show up late. I, I can see what I'm committed to uh, many times by, like, when I decide to show up and how much I contribute. There's a couple of things I'm part of where I'm just sort of like, huh? Huh? You know, it's just, you're not there, you're not present. It might be that you've sort of been functioning that way in this community, where it's like, it's okay, I can just say I can't make it. Well, you're half-hearted, you know, in serving God. And for some of you, maybe, you know, you've sort of been hanging for a while, and and you kind of like the community thing, but you're not... You know what I'm saying? You're not, you, you, you're not like giving into it. You're not giving into it. And listen, there are different seasons in life, right? It might be, but you've got to be careful because, you know, it can be this thing where if you look at what you've said in your emails, you realize, well, it's just a really busy season. Really busy season, 2007. And a little busy season, 2010, right? When it becomes a lifestyle, you've got to begin to say, all right, what's going on here? So a servant identity is someone that has lost themselves in grace. And they have come to understand the fullness of the gospel. And that's what's fueling them. And that's what's pressing them on. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for who he is. And... uh, The God-man came to serve, not to be served. And the way he served is mind-blowing to us. But we're very grateful that uh, he did it not to boast or just because he was God. He did it out of intimacy with you. We pray that you would help our intimacy to fuel our service. In Christ's name, amen.